Hello, welcome to Adventist Healthcare and You podcast. You're back with our new episode. Um, we have a great topic today. It's on healthy aging with Dr. Purnima Joshi, a family medicine physician with Adventist Medical Group in Rockville. After many roles with Kaiser and a year of retirement, Dr. Joshi felt a calling to return to medicine. She treats each of her patients with sensitivity, respect, and kindness. Welcome, Dr. Joshi. Thank you. Thank you. We're very excited to have you today. You know, with a- aging, there's there's a lot of different age groups that people are listening to our podcast. Uh, me being in my mid-30s, I think about, you know, aging as well. Um, I have a significant cardiac history, and my dad actually had a couple of um, heart attacks in his early 30s. So when I turned 30, I was watching my cholesterol and, and making sure I was working out a lot. Um, so it's, it's a very good topic to, to discuss for all our listeners. I think aging is a process which those of us who believe in taking care of ourselves can do gracefully. Yeah. It is a process that we need to be taking daily care of ourselves. It's not something that happens overnight. It's how we plan our lives. And I love talking to my patients, and that's what we talk about mostly. Probably 10 minutes or so of my 20 minutes is spent on how to improve quality of life and how to get lifestyle modifications that are permanent, which help the patient to age better and with more independence. Yeah, and, and aging is inevitable, right? Like everybody's going yeah. through aging and it's not changing with on a day-by-day basis. So how do we optimize that as, as, you know, is very valuable. So the Pan American Health Organization, which is a regional office of the WHO, um, it states that healthy aging is a continuous process of optimizing opportunities to maintain and improve physical and mental health, independence, and quality of life throughout the life course. What do you think about this definition, Dr. Joshi? I really like this definition because, for me, age is not a number. It is your biological age. It is how you have taken care of yourself and how you've aged. Of course, some of us get diseases which we can't control, and we may age a little faster than others. But for most of us, it is really the not smoking, the exercising, the walking, the eating right, which makes a lot of difference as to how we age, which is what is called your biological age. What I try to do with my senior patients is make sure that they can do all activities of daily living by themselves, which includes things like driving, banking. And for this, they need a healthy mind in a healthy body. How do they get there? They get there by the same things that I have said before. One must take care of our medical problems, but also of our lifestyles. I had a patient in my office the other day. The lady was 102. And my interview, when it started, didn't go as well as I would have thought because I asked my question a little bit crudely. I said to the lady, how did you come to my office? She says, why, Dr. Joshi? I drove. I looked at her. Again, I got caught up in her chronological age, and I said, you're 102. So she looks at me and says, Dr. Joshi, how many car accidents have you had? I have had none. And I very sheepishly said three. But (laughs) so it was, she was better than me 
in being able to be mindful of her life and do the things. She was doing very well, and hopefully we all will age and be still driving at 102. Yeah, and as you said earlier, age is just a number, right? She's, right. she's, she's at 102, but she probably felt she was like 70, 80, and 70. she was able to do a lot of things that many of us are able to do. Yeah, she's totally lucid. She's a beautiful lady and came well-groomed. It was, it was a joy to see her. <laughs> yeah. So what do you encourage for healthy living or healthy aging? I think there are some simple tips that I have for my patients. Today is the era where we all realizing that a dentition is not meant for eating raw meat. We were meant to be vegetarians to a large extent. Over the years, we've evolved into this meat-eating culture. Yeah. So I don't tell people to change and give up meat altogether, but what I do tell them is to incorporate plant-based foods into their diet. And with yeah. what I mean by that is my normal statement to people is try to get three vegetables a day, maybe two fruit, and make them rainbow colors. You won't need to go to GNC. You'll get all your antioxidants right there. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that I tell people to do is get some nuts, a handful of nuts, not a bag full of nuts. And unsalted nuts. <laughs> and unsalted nuts, but it is good for you. The other thing that we can look for protein sources in one of our meals is get some lentils. Yeah. And it changes how your body biology is going to work. It'll be healthier for your gut. It'll be healthy for how you feel. And it's probably going to cause far less clogging of your veins with stuff that we don't need. Yeah. We encourage them to get away from fatty, saturated fats and get into the olive oils. And it's very interesting. When you ask patient histories, the healthier ones have done it already by the time they hit 90. Yeah. And it's, it's lifestyle matters a lot. The other thing that's really needed, which is the hard thing, and sometimes I fall by the wayside, one must exercise at least four or five times a week. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you talked about um, eating vegetables and, you know, having avoiding meats, not not fully, but, but a little bit. So, you know, my wife and I, um, every week we used to eat a lot of meats throughout the week. And we decided not to do that. We decided once a week or twice a week we're going to eat meat. And the remainder of the week we're going to do vegetables, lentils, or beans, you know, just other forms of protein. So, I, I you know, there's a lot of processed meats nowadays which could have those saturated fats that you were talking about. Um, that people should avoid if possible. So I'm, I'm glad you you mentioned that. Um, you you talked about um, exercising and and four times a week or five times a week. So w- what kind of exercise or how much exercise should people do as they're aging? The trick is I tell most of my patients, unless they have severe arthritis and they can't walk at all, walk at your own pace, but walk for at least 30 minutes. People, know, you know, as you get older, You don't do seven minutes a mile. You're going to be much slower. It's probably going to be 16 or 18 minutes a mile. That's fine. But just do it regularly and constantly. And make sure when you're walking, you carry some light weights in your hands and legs, like your wrists and ankles. So that helps you to kind of get some of the weight bearing. This is very, very important as we age because one of the biggest things that is unrecognized in this country and is a cause of a lot of health problems is osteoporosis. And the other is obesity. Both of them will 
make your old age far less gentle for you. Yeah. It'll just give you a lot of rough road bumps. So one must make sure that the exercise is incorporated. Now, yoga and tai chi are also very good for the aging mind. Yeah. And the other exercise, which I push my patients all over the age of 65 to do, is to learn a new skill. Our brains become senescent mm -hmm. if we don't learn new things. So I tell my patients, if you can't play the piano, go play the piano. If you can't <laughs> play the guitar, go play the guitar. If you haven't learned a foreign language, go learn a foreign language. Learn something that's totally new and different for you because that increases how our neurons synapse in the brain. Yeah. It helps us have a healthier brain. Yeah. So what about um, mental health as we're aging? You know, what are some of the factors that we should watch out for? What are some of the things that we should do for our mental health? Well, mental health in the elderly is very important. Yeah. The highest suicide rates in this country are among single white Americans who live alone. Wow. So you take a person who's been very productive all his life years, they still get isolated and they get depressed. And it's something we need to be aware of. I do encourage my patients to join things like gyms, not so much because they can't exercise outside, but it brings them more into a circle of people that they get to talk to and have some kind of communication. I tell the children of my patients to call their parents on a regular basis because that's very helpful. Yeah. And it is where the family dynamics is very important. But depression is definitely one of the things that we are aware of and the elderly need to be made aware of. And um, they need to seek help. Uh, the patients who already have a little bit of dementia do very well with uh, Montgomery County where I practice in because Montgomery County has adult daycare where they give them activities to do yeah. and that keeps them very healthy and moving uh, far more than they could have done if they were left alone at home. So yeah. adult daycare is something for my dementia patients that I'm really pushing because it helps them to socialize, get to know people, and they, the people who seem to get that stimulation seem to do a little better. What are some other resources that people would have to, you know, gain their dependence or um, as they're getting older or having the independence as they're getting older? So you mentioned your 102-year-old patient who was still able to drive. You know, I would love to still drive when I'm that age. But like, how do we get to that and what are some of the resources? For I think the resources are, again, that we need to encourage people to use their body. Yeah. The geriatric logo is what you don't use, you lose. Mm -hmm. So people who sit around and watch TV and are not moving tend to lose a lot of their muscles. And then later on, it's very hard to regain it. You have a patient who gets hospitalized. It's very important to even move that patient because deconditioning or muscle weakness starts setting in in about two to three days. So we have to be cognizant Early physical therapy, and now physical therapy doesn't mean that you need a physical therapist there with you every moment of the day, but simply moving in bed, moving your legs, getting the patient to be active, turning is very, very important. 
And it's something that we have to make sure that our patients realize that what you don't use, you're going to lose. So use all your muscle groups every day. Yeah, and I think one of the things you said earlier was about having a hobby and, you know, something about playing a piano. You yeah. use some muscles and use some memory. Yeah. So, like, things like that, like activity like that. Like, even walking outside, outside. you know, you could have see the environment and things along those lines and keep those muscles strong. What are some of the health concerns that we don't typically talk about as we age? You know, when I think about aging, people usually talk about, you know, heart or uh, maybe some uh, neurological issue. Like what, what are some of the things that we don't talk about as we age? So one of the most important things that one must understand as we age, be cognizant that you are more prone to falls. Falls are a hip fracture changes a patient's life trajectory altogether. So I spend a lot of time with patients talking about fall prevention. And if a patient has a fall, we get them physical therapy, we get them the assistive devices. We try to make sure that the house is kind of fall proof. And one of the biggest things I do tell my seniors, don't exercise outside when it's icy. The number of people who come in with fractures who have been exercising outside on icy days is very high. And the weaker your bones are with aging, even with osteoporotic therapies, people will still break their bones. So the best thing is to avoid hazardous activities as you get older. The other thing that uh, one must emphasize with the elderly is that they get their vaccines on time. Absolutely. Even before the COVID pandemic, we used to lose 40,000 people to the flu a year. So 40,000 deaths were kind of preventable if we had the right flu vaccine. Now with the COVID, it's even more important for our seniors to be immunized. The other thing is the pneumonia vaccines and the Shingrix vaccines, because uh, shingles is another disabling condition, which will put an elderly backwards because it makes them so immobile. And immobility is one of the worst things for an elderly because they lose body tone and they become weaker and more fragile as that happens. And then the other thing that we do to talk to the elderly, which I spend a lot of time, is I tell the elderly not to wear very long dresses oh, because they trip up. on them. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is good shoes. Even your home shoe should have a thread because if your shoes are slippery, you'll slip in your house too, on the carpet, on your hardwood, on a wet tile. Yeah. Uh, you know, so would... the home shoes also need to have a tread. So the shoes for the elderly are very important. I tell people to give up their high heels. They're not happy with me, but it does help. (laughs) I was going to say, not just elderly, even younger people, you know, (laughs) they need the same advice about long dresses, heels, and things along those sides. So so thank you for sharing that. Um, So recently we, we, you know, we started getting questions from our listeners. uh, And there are a few questions that our listeners had, and I wanted to ask you that. Um, One of the ones we already answered, which was, you know, how much exercise we should be doing. But the next question is, how much sleep should I be getting um, to receive or to stay healthy? I try to make sure that my elderly get six to eight hours of sleep. And I try to tell them to sleep at one time. Patients who nap a lot after the retirement during the day can sleep at night. Because they're sleeping during so the day. They, so because they've, you know, so they never get the good REM sleep because they have slept and napped so one of my rules is, if you're going to take a nap, make it 15 minutes, 30 minutes at the most. 
don't take those long naps during the day and don't, then, then don't come and complain <laughs> to me. Uh, we talk about uh, just making sure that they don't take caffeine late at night and make sure that they don't uh, watch a TV a lot and the blue light is bothersome to them. They should read a book or do some activity which quietens them down. Uh, the other thing that helps sleep is because the elderly very often complain that they can't fall asleep. And it's simply that they have a rough time relaxing. And I think there's more anxiety as we get older, and this is more common. So what I have found is mindfulness is very important. Yeah. And what mindfulness is, is actually us going back to the old monastery and believing in prayer or something. What our grandparents did and our great-grandparents did, they prayed three, four times a night, and they had this chill time. In today's world, we have no chill time. We are always on the go, and we're always doing things. So the chill time is very simple. A lot of my patients will say, Dr. Joshi, I don't want to get up at night, but I can't fall asleep in bed. What do I do? I tell them, take your palm, take your forefinger, and go up and down your palm, and just keep thinking about the best prayer or the best song that you've heard, and keep repeating it again and again. And most of them will come back and say, Dr. Yoshi, that really works. In three or four minutes, I don't know when I'm going to sleep. I'm going to try that tonight. It's <laughs> good to know. <laughs> it's a great technique. If you do that for three, four minutes, you'll be refreshed. It's be better for your blood pressure. It's better for your sleep. It's better for you overall. Um, our other question was, um, should I be seeing my primary care physician more than once a year? I think that pretty much, again, is a question of chronological versus biological age. There are some patients who are so healthy and are doing so beautifully that even at 80, I just see them once a year. They are fortunate enough not to be on any medications. We do all their screenings, and there's nothing to be done. I don't make them come see me for no reason. But then there are others who could have emotional issues, who could have depression, who could have things that I'm picking up, yeah. which I don't like. I will make them come every six months. And then there's the set of people that I see every two months because they have a lot of unstable things going around them. So I think there is no fixed point. I think yeah. this is a very individualized decision per patient, and you have to take your time. The biggest thing about geriatrics is it's not so much about doing tests and prescribing medicines. It's the ability to understand your patient yeah. and understand their lifestyle and help them to modulate it so they can be happy and healthy. Yes, I do need to control your blood pressure. I do need to control your diabetes, but that is not the only part of geriatrics that's important. Yeah, it's about building that relationship with them as well. So I, I guess the, the the moral is that, you know, at least visit once a year, but it's very patient-specific, so you may have to visit multiple times a year, but at least visit once a year and have the conversation with your provider. Right. And what we do when they come once a year, I make them do a memory test, and I just make sure that the subtle signs of aging are not creeping in. Yeah. And so that once a year, I think, is good. And the last question is, um, is tracking your health numbers, such as heart rate, blood pressure, every day necessary? You know, we have all these gadgets nowadays and people are looking at it every second. No, I think it's detrimental. When I get a blood pressure patient in my office, I tell them to get a blood pressure machine. Most companies will pay for the BP machine, but I give strict instructions whether they should take their blood pressure once or twice a week. Yeah. I don't tell them, don't get obsessed with it. It creates more anxiety, more 
Your blood pressure goes up even more. more. Poorer control because there's so much anxiety around it. And doing the same task. And, you know, the blood pressure is variable. It changes minute to minute. Your pulse changes minute to minute. And some of these gadgets also kind of misfire. And I get these people, we do so much unnecessary testing because they are watching their heart rate on the eye watch. So once in a while, it's okay, but not every day. Right. And I actually give parameters to my patients to take their blood pressure once a month or so if their blood pressure is controlled. If it's not controlled, we'll say once or twice a week. But we try to encourage them not to do it every moment and not to do it three, four times a day and then try to kind of monitor it. Yeah, great. Thank you for sharing that. So one thing we ask our speakers all the time is, is you know, what's one thing that you would want to say to our listeners? So one thing you want to, you know, get out of this, this talk for today. So what's one nitbit that you want to share with our listeners? Don't think food, think nutrition. The body is our temple. You've got to treat it right. Yeah, eat the, the right uh, things. Yeah. And so eat nutrition and exercise are really the two things that we need to be constantly aware. Well, Dr. Joshi, thank you for sharing all your insights and wisdom with, with us and our listeners. To find Dr. Joshi, visit AdventistHealthcare.com and click on Find a Doctor. To learn more about Adventist Healthcare, visit AdventistHealthcare.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you can get our new episodes. Thank you and be well. <laughs>